Again, chapter 1 Timothy, chapter 5, 5, verse 1 to 16. Now, does anyone know or heard that there is an uh, International Widow's Day? Seriously. No? There is. June 23rd. I confess I was not aware of it until this past week as I was reading and studying this passage. There is International Widows Day, June 23rd. And the purpose is just to raise an awareness of the issue of widowhood around the world. And actually, this is the main topic of our passage this morning. We're going to see in chapter 5, Timothy, uh, Paul instructing Timothy and the church in Ephesus to care for their widows. Right? And he gives some instructions for Timothy on how to do that. So this is the main, the main theme of our, of our passage today. So before we jump in into this text, let us close our eyes and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be here and once again to be able to sing, pray together, and listen to your word together. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you may help us to listen and help us to act, to be resolved to act Convict us, Lord Jesus, and help me to communicate your word as I ought to do, Lord. With confidence, not in myself, but in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in, uh, in the first three verses of chapter 5, being aware of the pitfalls of the youth, age, and pride, and self, selfishness, especially harshness, um, Paul instructs Timothy on the proper demeanor uh, in his relationship with different age groups in the church. In verse 1 and 3, Paul tells Timothy and the church how they should treat each other. This reminds us that in God's household, in God's household, all are to be treated respectfully. And this is the first uh, outline that I want to share with you. Um, that in God's household, all are treated respectfully. So this first, the first group that Paul addresses in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 1 to 3, is older and younger men. And he says to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Other translations say, says, say uh, do not be harsh or sharply rebuke an older man, but encourage him as he would father. But a translation of the Greek word pericle, to encourage, it may be best translated to strengthen, since the term parakletos is a title used for the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is to, for him to come alongside the older man and younger men to help them, to strengthen in their faith. 
to instill in them this, this companionship. Let's walk together. And of course, that involves bringing a every member back to the truth and confront them in their sin. Or perhaps just to come alongside and pray with them. And then Paul moves on in verse 2, and he talks about older and, older and younger women. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, you should treat older women as mothers. Meaning being patient, caring, and loving towards them. Now, and to the um, younger women, Paul says to Timothy to treat them as sisters. And then he adds, in all purity. Taking consideration Timothy's young age and his position in the church, the call to purity might be a warning for him to be cautious in his interaction with uh, 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 young women in the church. He ought to be careful, you know, purity. He ought to treat them as sisters, but be careful, Timothy. Now, Paul's point in these instructions is that in God's household, there is an appropriate way for us to treat each other. In all respect and love, it is proper among family members. For leaders, this is a call for us not to use our position to speak harshly and disrespectfully towards others, especially the congregation, but to be reminded that in, in the church, we are all family. So, verse 1 and 3 functions as a transitional from chapter 4 to chapter 5, to the rest of the chapter 5, where, where, where Paul will talk about widows in the church, and then later on in chapter 5, he will talk about elders in the church. So, he's just giving instruction. This is how you, you ought to treat each other. Now, let them just give you some instructions about how you ought to help widows in the church, Timothy. Verse 3 to 16. And the second thing that I want to share with you, the second outline, and we're going to camp out here a little bit more, is um, God's continual passion for widows is a reminder that we should also care for the vulnerable and needy. This issue with widows is hard for us to understand since we do not live in the same predicament that they lived in the first century. Many things that today we take for granted, like medical treatment, medicine, vaccines, in the first century it was not available in the same proportion as today. So as a result, it was pretty common for, for men to die in their young age. In a time where there was no social security, right? For a wife with small kids to lose their father and husband, there was, that it, it could be a disaster. It could be devastating for a family. It could mean 
poverty, extreme poverty. But now, even in our days, even in our days, if we, if we step outside of the U.S., we might be surprised to hear that widowhood is a big social problem in many countries. It is estimated that there are more than 258 million widows around the world today. More than 115 million live in poverty. And 86 million have suffered physical abuse. A great majority of these widows today live in what is called the Global South, Asia, Africa, and South America. There's also a growing number of widows in Russia and Europe. Philip Jenkins, a university professor, wrote a book titled The New Faces of Christianity. In his book, he shows how the economic, social, political, and cultural realities in the global south today are not too far from the church in the first century. Jenks' goal in his book is to help Westerners and Europeans to see that the reality we live in is an exception in comparison to the rest of the world. So in approaching this passage, and especially this issue of widowhood in the church of Ephesus, Jenkins' book is a good reminder for us living in the West to be reminded that there are much of this issue of widowhood in our days, even though we do not experience in our immediate reality. There were two types of widows in the church of Ephesus, the younger and the older ones. Paul's attentions go specifically to the older ones who are alone and have no family. For those who are young, Paul encouraged them to get married and raise a family. Among the older ones, Timothy is to identify those who have family members and those who do not. In verse 3, Paul tells Timothy to honor the widows who are truly widows. Is there a way for a widow not to be a truly widow? <laughs> what is he saying? Right? When you see this verse like this, like what is he saying? Well, in verse 4, Paul explains what he means in verse 3. Not all widows are truly alone and without resources. Some of them have immediate family members. But some are completely by themselves. Some perhaps have means to provide for themselves, which would be the exception in the first century, not the norm. And for those who have family members, Paul encouraged the family to look after them, especially their children. And he says... This is pleasing in the sight of God. In verse 5, along with verse 9 and 10, Paul gives this a some sort of criteria or qualifications for, for who is supposed to be supported by the church. Qualifications, right? And these qualifications 
were needed because in verse 9, the text gives the impression that there was a sort of list of widows under the church's care. And if that is the case, Paul is saying that for a widow to be part of this list, she must be a woman who has been faithful to the Lord and continues in prayer and supplications. Meaning a believer who has served the Lord faithfully. The qualifications are, in verse 9, that she must be over 60 years, 60 years old, was the wife of one husband while he lived. Right? This does not mean that a woman who remarried could not be part of this list. She also, she also must be of a good reputation with those outside. A good mother, hospitable, caring for those in need, and devoted to good works. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a list if you think about it. And there are some similarities between this list of qualifications and the one give, given in chapter 3 for elders. And even the Greek grammar, the construction is very similar. And then he says to Timothy, however, Timothy, if, if a woman does not meet this criteria, she's not to be supported by the church. The issue is that some of the younger widows have become self-indulgent, lasciviousness, less lasciviousness. And Paul says that these widows are already dead, even though they are alive. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, do not enroll in an, an unregenerated woman who lives a worldly lifestyle marked by immorality. In verse 11, Paul tells the church to refuse to enroll these widows who are giving themselves to sens- sensual desires and their passions. And apparently some of these widows at some point were part of this church list and pledged to serve the Lord and be faithful to Him and serve the local church in their widowhood. But after being supported by the church for some time, they were, they were being driven away from faith by their sensual desires, and now they desire, they, 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 they desire to marry. Looking at this, some may say, well, they are young. And they changed their minds. You cannot blame them for that. But the issue is a little bit deeper than this. It's a little bit deeper than it appears to be. It's not just that they changed their minds. These young widows who for some time received the church's financial assistance became idlers and gossipers, going around and talking about things they, they should not. Commentators see this group of women as the same that Paul describes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. And I have a slide for you so that you can follow with me to see what Paul says in this um, a passage. Um, there's a slide for that verse. So look what he says in verse chapter 2, um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. 
For among them are those who creep into households, meaning false teachers, and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Again, the Greek construction is very similar to the one in chapter 5. Now, if that is the case, and I think it is, the issue is that these widows in their vulnerable position became easy prey for false leaders, for false teachers. And they are helping in the spread of false teaching, perhaps unintentionally or maybe intentionally. In their idleness and gossiping and going from house to house, they're helping disseminate this false teaching among other women. That is why Paul encouraged, encouraged the, the younger women, a widow in Ephesus, to get married. It is true that to the church in Corinth, Paul encouraged them to not to seek remarriage. He gives a different uh, uh, instruction for the widows in, in Corinth. And he says, remain in your widowhood and, and, and use your time to serve the Lord. Seems that Paul like, has two standards. No, in reality, no, no, I don't think that's the issue. I think in both letters, Paul is apply, applying practical concession for the sake of the local church and its, and its testimony. Two different churches going through different circumstances, and Paul is applying wisdom. What is the best for this congregation? What is the best for this congregation? At the same time, they will hold fast to the word of truth. They hold fast to the gospel, to the unit of the local church, to the health of the local church, and the preaching of the local church in its community. That is why in verse 3, Paul encouraged the, the members of the congregation to care for their parents or for their widows. It's a clear instruction that Paul gives to, this, um, to some of family members uh, of these widows in Ephesus for them to care for their widows. Caring for their parents was not a new commandment. It is not, it wasn't, and it is not a new commandment. And this was a cultural practice in the first century. It was assumed that the children would care for their parents in their old age and provide some assistance. In verse 8, Paul says that those who do not make some return to their parents are worse than an unbeliever who, without the word of God, do that. Paul's reasoning is simple. If unbelievers do this, should not the church do likewise? By the word, by the way, the word honor widows in verse 3 means help them financially. It's not just this honor in terms of respect, it means financial help and assistance. 
Perhaps you may say, but does not this scripture tells us that parents, not their kids, are supposed to care for them? What 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at 12 verse 14 says? For children, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Yes, this verse tells us that parents are supposed to be good stewards of their financial resources and leave something for their kids. However, in our passage today, we see that children are also supposed to honor their parents beyond just giving them respect, but to give them some financial return if that is the case in their own family. This is what is implied in the fifth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's the only commandment that comes with a promise. <laughs> Honor and you will be blessed. To Paul, those in the church in Ephesus who are neglecting to help and care for their family members while placing an unnecessary burden on the church and denying their faith with their attitudes. In verse 8, Paul's words to them are heavy, weighty. He says that they are worse than unbelievers. Perhaps some of you may be asking yourselves, is this pastor, this John, is, is, is he saying that I'm supposed to help my parents when they were not only careless with their money, but also never helped me with anything? Is, is, is that what he's saying? Friends, I, I, I understand that some of us may come from a broken home or abusive family. And the idea of helping parents sounds quite odd, not to say outrageous, for some of you. If that is what is going through your mind, I want to point out to you that I do not find in the Scriptures passages telling us that we should help and give support only to believing and godly parents. If there is a passage that I'm not aware of, please help me to see them. The Bible gives us no criteria in regard to our parents or family members. On the contrary, the 50 commandment is very clear. Honor your parents. I want to be sensitive here. Sensitive because each family has its own dynamics with many layers that it may it makes difficult for any outsider to truly understand. And I also I, I, 
I also want to be clear in the sense that I'm not advocating that you should neglect your own family, which is your primary responsibility in order to help your parents, nor that you should bring them to live under your roof. Maybe that's the case for you, but I'm not advocating for that, and I'm not saying that you should do that. I just want to be clear in this. What is this text is saying that we are to help family members in their need in all wisdom and discernment. And if that means financially, do not withhold your hand. And I do understand that this is a hard topic, hard issue to talk when you when you talk about money, it's always a um, not an easy topic. And because we're living in a broken world, marked by sin, and many of us experience this brokenness in our own families in ways that words cannot explain. And some of us carry not only emotional and psychological scar, but physical and visible ones. We might be tempted to turn our backs on family because of this painful history. And it is at this point that the gospel reminds us that we also have sinful hearts and are by nature selfish and rebellious. That we are more inclined to treat others following the rule of an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth than to turn the other cheek and love our enemies and love those who hurt us and to continue to love them when they continue to hurt us. Is not that what God does to us? As we continue, as we sin, when we come to Him and ask for His forgiveness, what does He do? He forgives us. Friends, the reality that we're more inclined to treat others like in this rule than to follow the example of Jesus. Not that you might not have a good reason to turn your back on those who hurt and did not care for you. But a question that we should ask ourselves is, am I honoring the Lord in acting like this? Am I being caring and loving in my relationship with my family members in a way that honors the Lord? Remember, remember that once you were lost and destined to burn in hell because of your sins, and God rescued, saved you, and gave you a new life, forgave of your sins, Gave you right robes so that you can enter into His throne. And He calls you His children. We are His family. He adopted us, loved, and continues to love us in ways that we cannot comprehend. And yet we can experience daily. The question is... Are we not to do the same? Are we not to do the same? 
Oh, I'm not saying that this is easy or comes naturally. What I'm saying is that God who saved you can empower you to do the same. Not without tears, not without struggles, but He can. And we must respond. And we must resolve to treat others as He treated us. Friends, God's language is not, sometimes it's difficult for us to understand. Not because He speaks in unintelligible words, but quite the contrary. Because He speaks clearly into our hearts, convicting us of our sins, and tells us to reflect on hard issues. Sometimes God pokes His finger in some of the wounds that we thought were healed, so that we can actually turn to Him for help in true healing. Sometimes God's washed us and removed the makeup and help us to see that we are still have open wounds that needs to be cared of. Painful, but for our own good. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 46 to 48. For if you love those who loved you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. That's our call. To follow Jesus. And to respond to a broken world as He responded to us when we came to Him in repentance. In our brokenness. Talking about family is not a black and white thing. I know that. This, however, the scriptures offer and, and help us guidance on how to navigate what sometimes could be rough waters. Friends, in God, there is always a place for the hurt and needy. In God, there is always a place for you to find the strength that you do not have to love those that in your own flesh you do not love. I want to make another observation in regards of this text. Even though nowadays we do not deal with the issues of widowhood in the same proportion as the church in Ephesus and in the first century. This passage raises a question of exegesis, a cultural exegesis. How can we, the church in the 21st century, care not only for our widows, but also identify the needy and neglect among us and in our community and offer holistic care for them? 
An answer to this is not easy. It will require the church and its leadership to come together to pray, seek guidance, and engage the community. And this is meaningful for, for this church plant. As this church plant is seeking this to grow and be a church for this community, not only in this community. Those are the things that we might have to reason with in the future. How can we be a church for this community? How can we care for this community? What are the needs, the needs of this community? In what ways can we bless this community? Not with the preaching of the gospel, with our own hands and feet, and offer help. Like the Ephesian church, our goal should not should be to identify and screen and screen among the many needs of this community. And folks are resources and time of the most vulnerable and neglected and those who in need. It doesn't mean that we're going to be able to um, help everyone. And, but perhaps we can focus in one thing. And as I've been talking to them in the past two years and I've heard his heart to serve this church and to serve this community, I know that this isn't his heart. How can this church serve this community whatever it looks like maybe looks like help children in an after school program just an example maybe it might be an ESL class there are many needs in our community we just need to open our eyes to see we all see what's going on in New York and this bus is coming with thousands and thousands of immigrants and I know church they are Jumping in and helping these immigrants, regardless if they agree with the uh, the policies or not, they are seeing the need and they are stepping in to help. Are we not to do the same, regardless of our political views, regardless we we agree with this or, or that or not? They're not. Our calling remains the same. We are not the ones bringing those immigrants here, but are not supposed to step in and help. It's just, this is just an example, right? I'm not saying that we should start bringing people here. They're just giving you an, a, a tangible and, and something that's going on so that we can think about our own reality in North Arlington, Kearney, and in Belleville, and in Nutley, and Lyndhurst, and in Rutherford, and this era that we're living in. What it means to serve this, this, this community. I think this is something that we might have to reason together in the future and more important to pray and ask for God's help and grace. The Bible encourages us to serve and help others inside the church, outside of the church. But the Bible does not give us a blueprint how to do it. How we ought to do it in our own context. That's where we need prayer. That's why we need prayer and come together. And that's why each member is so important. Because in collective wisdom, there's so much to be learned and in seek God's guidance. May the Lord help us to be a prayer for church. 
concerned with our community's needs and and willing to honor the Lord by ser- serving others. And I want to conclude saying this. In the church, I just want to remind you, in the church, God's household, we are family. And we must treat each other respectfully. Regardless of your political position, regardless of your views about eschatology, or if you are cessationist or continuationist, regardless, in God's household, we must treat each other respectfully. We are God's family. And the second thing is, God's continual compassion for widows is a reminder that we must care for the vulnerable and needy among our own families, in the church, and in our community. Let's take a few minutes to reflect in, in silent prayer. Yeah.